I want to preach to you today from a passage of Scripture that I think is very important. Years ago, I heard a Bible scholar say, if you couldn't have the entire Bible, if for some reason the Bible was taken away from you and they said you can only have a portion of the Bible, he said, I would suggest that you take the New Testament because it has the story of Jesus, the letters of Paul, all the good practical stuff for living a Christian life. He said, so if you have to choose between the old and new, go ahead and take the New Testament. It's got the cross, the resurrection, the, the story of salvation and Pentecost and all that. Take the New Testament. And then he said, if for some reason they wouldn't let you keep an entire testament, they said you can only take one book of the Bible. He said, I would suggest that you take the Gospel of John. That's one of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They're all biographies of Jesus, firsthand account of John, the beloved disciple. And as he told about Jesus' miracles and his teachings, his crucifixion, the resurrection, uh, the ascension into heaven, and so on, take the gospel of John. It will be enough to get you through in your Christian life. And then he said, if they won't let you keep an entire book of the Bible and you can only take a portion Take the Sermon on the Mount, which would be Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave us amazing practical teaching on living a holy life. If they won't let you keep three chapters, they'll only let you keep one. One chapter in the entire Bible, this guy said, take Romans chapter 12. And that may be sort of an obscure chapter of the Bible to you until you read it through. And I would challenge you this afternoon or sometime this week, get your Bible out and read Romans 12. And I think you'll find yourself saying, I didn't know that verse was in that chapter. I've known that verse. I can almost quote that verse. I've heard that before. I didn't know it was in Romans chapter 12. But we're going to key in on Romans 1, excuse me, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I want to do something just a little bit different today and give you Romans chapter 1 and uh, chapter 12 verse 1 and Romans chapter 12 verse 2 in four different versions or translations of the Bible. And the first one we'll do is Romans chapter 12 verse 1 from the New International Version, which came out in the 1970s and gave us a kind of a new and fresh approach to the Word of God, left out a lot of the these and thous and the words that end in E-T-H and made it much more readable for us. And I would like for you to read with me these verses that are on the screen. This is the New International Version of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let's read it together. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. All right, let's look at it in another version called the New American Standard Bible. Let's read that together. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Just a little different, but it highlights some of the important parts. Let's read the third version. This is called the New Living Translation, and it's relatively new within the last 10 to 15 years. Read with me. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice 
the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And then the final one is an older translation by a man named J.B. Phillips. That's what the J.B. and the P stand for, the Phillips translation. Read that with me. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Thank you for reading along. Go back to the first translation, the New International Version, and look at some key words with me. Some of you have memorized verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 in the King James Version where it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice. This word urge or beseech or plead, it's a begging term. I'm serious about this. I really want you in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. And even that term, because of God's mercy, or in view of God's mercy, is reminding us of all that God has done for us. When we consider His mercy and grace in our lives, why would we not want to return our worship and our devotion to Him? It talks about being a living sacrifice, a sacrifice that will be holy, acceptable, and pleasing. In fact, there's a word that, it's kind of a church word for sure. Uh, In fact, two church words that we hear from time to time around this particular church. The words are consecration and sanctification. Sanctification is from two words that simply mean to make holy. For something to be sanctified or for sanctification to happen, something has to be made holy. In the Old Testament, they would consecrate vessels like pots and candles and candlesticks and all kinds of instruments they were going to use in worship, they would consecrate those things to the Lord. They would offer them and then God would make them holy. He would sanctify them. He would set them apart for only one use. So the vessel that the priest would put the blood of a sacrificial animal in was not a vessel he would use at the dinner table. It was set apart for a holy use. It was consecrated and sanctified by God so it could be used for one special and holy purpose. And so as individuals, we come to God and consecrate ourselves to him. We offer ourselves. That sounds really like it's something that a priest should do or something really holy, really special. Well, it is in the fact that you're the only one that can give yourself to God. Nobody can do that for you. You have to make the decision, I want to offer myself to God. God, I consecrate myself to you so then you can come and make me holy. You can come into my life and make me holy. Let's look at uh, some words I put on the screen that define the word sacrifice. It's from the Latin word sacer, meaning holy, or sacrificium, the offering of something holy. So this word sacrifice, or being a living sacrifice, originally had the connotation of a religious practice, a religious event, to offer something of value to a religious deity to show total dedication to a higher power, to prove one's humility and loyalty, to worship someone or something greater than yourselves. 
Now, these days, we can think of other meanings. One might, one might give up something to prove one's devotion or to get something that may be more valuable. Remember, I know the guys from the softball team will remember this. People my age remember trading stamps, right? S and H, green stamps, top value stamps. They would give them at gas stations and grocery stores and you would take your trading stamps home and it was based on how much you spent. My goodness, Kroger still has that going on, don't they? Kroger gives you points, fuel points, based on how much you spend. But you would take these stamps home and they had sticky on the back. You'd lick the stamps, put them in a book, and when you filled the book up, you could trade that book in for something of value. You took something that was just paper, stamps and a paper book, something of very little value, and you would take it to the redemption center and you could redeem that thing of little value for something of better value. I don't know if any of you have anything left in your home that you redeemed at the Redemption Center. If you did, it's an antique now, right? <laughs> but when we sacrifice something to God, we're, taking, we're really taking something of lower value and redeeming it for something of greater value. When you make a sacrifice, you give in many cases, so that you'll receive something back. For instance, you might sacrifice a lot of sleep to get a college degree, especially if you're a non-traditional student and pick that up in your later adult years to sacrifice to get that degree. You might sacrifice money so that you can have stuff. You might sacrifice time to improve a skill, sacrifice your own preferences for the good of a relationship or a group. A person may sacrifice time, skill, knowledge, and money to prepare a special meal. A person may sacrifice his body and his time to win a contest or set a record or gain fame or fortune. I heard this statement years ago, and I've molded over in my mind many, many times. Listen to this quote. You might want to write it down. There is never a feast without a sacrifice. Ladies, you are now empowered to say that on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day afternoon. You can tell the family, there's never a feast without a sacrifice. What do you mean, Mom? What do you mean, Grandma? I've been working on this meal for days. I worked late last night to get this stuff ready. I got up early this morning to put it in the oven and to mix this recipe up. I have sacrificed my time and my cooking talents and my energy so that we can have a feast today. And dad can say, well, I worked hard. I slaved away to make a salary so you could go to the grocery store and buy all this stuff. It's true though. Someone had to sacrifice so that you can have a feast. The Bible says one of these days we're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. That's a meal in heaven. And Jesus sacrificed so that we could have an invitation to that feast, to that meal. There's never a, a feast without a sacrifice. Now you can change the word feast to something else. There's never a reward without a sacrifice. There's never a victory without a sacrifice. When we give, when we bend over backwards, so to speak, 
we give our very best, good things happen because we have sacrificed. So let me ask you this. Is there something in your life that you are really passionate about? Is there a person, a cause, a priority that to some degree consumes you? Some are totally committed to their work. Some are passionate about a cause like civil rights or pro-life or political party. Some are consumed with their family and they pour all their time and effort into their children and their extended family. Some give time and priority to a sport or a hobby or another person. When you have a passion like that, you are willing to sacrifice to pursue that passion. You'll sacrifice your time, your resources, your energy, and your own personal preferences to give yourself to that priority. Let me give you an example. In the early 90s, Becky and I were pastoring in Nashville, Tennessee, and Becky had a passion about uh, pro-life. She had a pro-life passion. And she began to think, besides praying for our country and praying for this issue, what can I do to be proactive? And so she found a ministry that ministered to what we called back in those days unwed mothers. Girls that were in their teenage years in most cases that found themselves in trouble with a pregnancy. And this ministry was designed to try to help those young ladies so they wouldn't terminate their pregnancy, so they wouldn't seek an abortion. And so we're going to help you. We're going to support you. We're going to make sure you can finish your education. We're going to find an adoptive home for your baby if that's what you want. And, and Becky decided to volunteer at that ministry. So she would go once a week and she would tutor some of those teenage girls so that they could keep up with their studies and not fall behind in their high school work. Well, she was so passionate about this that this wasn't enough. And we had a lady at our church that was passionate about it. And she started telling us that about once a month on a Sunday afternoon, there was a pro-life demonstration on a busy street in Nashville called Nolensville Road. And so about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we would go out with, with scores of other pro-life people, and we would just stand on the sidewalk on each side of the street for about a mile up and down the, the street holding signs. We weren't doing anything uh, inappropriate. We were just standing there with our signs that supported life. And people would go by, some would honk and wave, thumbs up. Others just kind of ignored us. But that was part of, of Becky's passion for the pro-life movement. We gave our time on a Sunday afternoon with our three children to stand there with our signs. And Becky was still passionate about this. So she sacrificed even more. In fact, she got us all involved in this sacrifice. We became pre-adoptive foster parents. And how many babies did we do? 13? 13 over a, like a three-year period. We brought brand new babies straight from the hospital to our house who were going to be adopted. And we kept them during that buffer time so that it didn't happen that, okay, here's the new baby you're going to adopt, and then the biological mother changed her mind or some kind of paperwork got fouled up, and they had to say, sorry, we've got to take the baby back. So we kept the baby from anywhere from from uh, three days to a month in our home. Now, 
I'm proud of the fact that I gave Becky gray hair when she was in her 40s, actually in her 30s. I've worked hard at that, giving her gray hair. And uh, so we would have this brand new baby that she was in charge of, but all of us helped. I mean, babies cry in the middle of the night. Do you know that? They have to be changed. Uh, we, had to, we had to buy supplies. Some we got from the ministry and some we provided ourselves. Our kids got involved. They, we all took turns feeding babies and changing babies and getting up with babies in the night. Becky, during the day while the kids were in school and I was working, she would take the baby everywhere she went. So here's this gray-haired lady around the age of 40 carrying this newborn around. And people said, man, she's kind of old to have a newborn. And besides that, look how good she's doing. That baby is tiny. And she, she must have given a miracle birth or something. She's got her, uh, her energy back and you know, getting in and out of the car at the post office, the grocery store, all this stuff, taking the baby everywhere. That was some sacrifice. See, see what I'm saying? Because she was passionate about a cause, she was willing to sacrifice. And we supported her in that sacrifice of time and energy and resources for something that was important, something that really mattered. So what is it in your life that you're passionate about? Is it any, let me ask you, is, is it anything of eternal value? Now, I'm not putting down our hobbies and some of the things we like to do, but is there anything in your personal life that you're passionate about that has eternal significance? Not just for the moment, not just because it's fun, because it makes a difference. Is there something that you're willing to sacrifice for? to be a part of. That's what we're talking about here, to be a living sacrifice. You know, it's not uncommon to read of human sacrifices in pagan cultures. In the Judeo-Christian religion, God established the sacrifice of animals as an atonement for sin. The animal became the scapegoat or the substitute for the one who was asking for sins to be forgiven. God was the first one to sacrifice one of the beings he created. You remember? Remember where the first animal sacrifice happened? In the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned against God, they realized they were naked and they were ashamed and they tried to hide from God. Most people think that they made outfits out of leaves. In fact, one little girl was going through the family Bible and her grandmother had pressed a beautiful oak leaf in the Bible and it fell out while she was thumbing through the page. She said, look, Grandma, Adam and Eve's outfit. <laughs> Not exactly. But God killed the first animal <clears throat> so that he could clothe Adam and Eve in animal skins. A sacrifice was made to cover the results of their sin. Do you see? God established that. And even after that happened, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons, were invited to make a sacrifice to God. And Cain brought produce or crops from his field as a sacrifice. Abel brought an animal sacrifice. 
and the blood of that animal was spilled out. God blessed and received Abel's sacrifice, much to the dismay and anger of his brother Cain, who responded by murdering his brother. Noah sacrificed animals after the flood. Many times we forget, well, we, we even say it this way, how many of each kind of animal did Noah take on the ark? And we almost always say, Two, one pair, male and female, two animals of every kind. That's almost true. Actually, Noah took seven pairs of the clean animals. And you thought one pair was enough to fill up the ark. He had seven pairs of the clean animals because after the, after the flood, when they were safely on dry ground, Noah offered up a sacrifice to God of clean animals and if he'd only had two of each one, when he offered up that animal as a sacrifice, what would happen? That, animal, that particular species would have become extinct. But there were seven pairs of clean animals. So Noah offered sacrifice. Abraham made sacrifice to a mysterious priest named Melchizedek in the Old Testament. And God challenged Abraham's faith by asking him to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. We know the end result was that God provided an animal for that sacrifice once he saw Abraham's faith and his obedience. The most famous sacrifice in the Old Testament is the Passover lamb. God's people were enslaved in Egypt. Moses was called to lead them to the promised land. Pharaoh's heart was hardened time and again until the 10th plague when the death angel passed over the land of Egypt and killed or slew the eldest firstborn son in every household except the houses that were marked with the blood of a sacrificial lamb. God's people knew that if they took a special lamb sacrificed it, sprinkled the blood over their doorpost that their home would be spared. And the death angel passed over. And still today, Jewish folks annually celebrate the Passover with a Seder meal, the retelling of the story, and thanking God for setting them free from Egyptian slavery. Animal sacrifices were made to thank God and to offer something of value in exchange for something better. In this case, their freedom. Sacrifices were made to ask for protection, for provision, and for salvation. But of course, the most significant sacrifice of all is the crucifixion of Jesus the Christ. The Old Testament rituals and ceremonies of sacrifice came to fulfillment in the death of Jesus. He became the sacrificial lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus took on himself the sins of the world, yours and mine, and became the sacrifice that paid the price and made the way for us to have relationship with God so that we could be made holy, formed into his image. Talk about receiving something better. Jesus became the sacrifice so really we could receive it all. Praise the Lord. Jesus laid down his life. He died a violent death. He willingly took your place. He took my place. The father sacrificed his son so that we could have life abundant and life eternal. 
The Bible describes the sacrifice of Jesus this way, once and for all. I like that. He made sacrifice once and for all for the sins of the world. One time, one final time, sacrifice was made, and it was the ultimate sacrifice. God gave his own son as the sacrifice. No more sacrifices necessary, once and for all, for all time and for all people, once and for all. Praise the Lord. So the sacrifice we're called to give is not necessarily to die for Christ or to be martyred for our faith, although that has happened and still happens from time to time. No, we're called to give ourselves in living sacrifice or surrender to the one who gave his all for us. Think of it this way. When Jesus rose from the grave and then 40 days later ascended into heaven, he gave up his physical body. The Bible says that he now sits at the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for us. I've told you this before, but this helps my, my little pea brain to, to visualize this. When I pray a prayer, a sincere prayer in faith, the Holy Spirit, who is everywhere, the Holy Spirit can't be contained, the Spirit of God hears my prayer and conveys my prayers to the throne room of God. So here's how I see it. Not that he would have to knock, but the Holy Spirit knocks on the door of the throne room of God. And, and he, he says, uh, it's me, Father and Son, I have a request. And so Jesus goes over and opens the door, God the Son. He opens the door, what is it? Well, Mike Hancock's in trouble again, right? You can put your name in there too, right? And, and he's asking us to do something about his situation. And, and the Holy Spirit's telling this to Jesus. And Jesus, God the Son, says, thank you, Spirit. Get back to your work. You've got a lot to do down there. And God the Son walks over and sits down beside God the Father and says, Father, that Mike Hancock, he needs us again. Well, what is it this time, the Father says. And Jesus tells him the situation and, and he says, Father, I know what he's going through because I was a human being for 33 years. I know those emotions. I know those failures. I know those temptations. I know those problems. And I think we ought to help him. And the father says, because of you, son, we're going to help him. Send the Holy Spirit right away to help Mike in his frustration or his temptation or his trial or his confusion. So Jesus is making intercession for us. He pleads our case because he knows what we're going through. But Jesus no longer has a human body. When he ascended into heaven and sat down beside the heavenly father, he gave up his human body. That's why we, the church, the community of faith, those of us who are believers and Christ followers, that's why we're called the body of Christ. Because Jesus doesn't have a body down here anymore. He's a spirit in heaven at the throne room of God. We must be his body. We have to be his hands, his feet, his voice, his eyes and ears, his heart. We are the body of Christ. How do we fulfill that role? By becoming living sacrifices. 
You know, a lot of times when we ask people, I'm pointing over here for those of you that aren't regularly from our church. We have a baptistry in the floor over here. We can take this panel out and there's a, a baptism tank under there that we fill up. And we usually immerse people for baptism. And when you ask a lot of people, what does baptism represent? A lot of times they'll say, well, I'm being washed in the water. My life is being made clean. Another very significant symbol of baptism is we die with Christ. We're laid in death with Christ, but we're resurrected. resurrected. We rise again with Christ. We become living sacrifices. We lay our life down, but he raises us up to do the work that he's called us to do. We are his body. We become sacrifices that are holy and acceptable to God. We will probably never be required to die for our faith, but we can humble ourselves and offer our body, soul, mind, and spirit to our friend and Savior, Jesus. But we don't want to miss Romans chapter 12, verse 2. So quickly let me go there and point out those same four translations of verse 2. Read it with me, New International Version. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's read it in the New American Standard Bible. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then in the New Living Translation, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. And finally, the Phillips translation, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves toward the goal of true maturity. As we go through this life, as we live in this everyday world, as we endeavor to fulfill why we're here in the first place, we must not conform to the pattern of this world. You know, peer pressure is not just for elementary and middle school and high school students. We're all victims of. (laughs) We're all uh, apt to give in to peer pressure at any age. Because peer pressure is the desire to be like everyone else, the desire to fit in, to not embarrass yourself, to be accepted and to be liked, to belong. That's what peer pressure is all about, really. And that's a problem at any age. But we do not have to be slaves to our culture, trapped by the world's way of living. We don't have to let the world around us squeeze us into the world's mold. We can be transformed. We can break out of those molds into the way God wants us to be. We're not creatures unable to break out of the norms and expectations of the day. We can be transformed. 
I like that. We're formed, not conformed, transformed. That's being formed all over again in a changed way. We can be different in a positive way. We can live a life of joy and fulfillment and purpose that gives meaning to our lives. This happens as I offer myself as a living sacrifice to God. Trusting in Jesus as my personal Savior. Committing myself to something and someone worth sacrificing for. My advice would be to give yourself to something that matters. Give yourself to God. Let's bow our heads, please. In the Church of the Nazarene, we practice open communion. That means that you are welcome today to receive the sacrament. If you didn't pick up one of the prepackaged communion sets out in the foyer, we have them in a basket here at this kneeling bench, and we call that bench the altar. That's interesting because sacrifices are made at the altar. That's where the priest made sacrifices in the Old Testament. The animal was slain, the blood was spilt. It was offered on the altar, and we can come to an altar and offer ourselves as living sacrifices. So if you'd like to receive communion today, our communion servers are coming to get set up, and you can come to one of the communion stations, or you can use the prepackaged communion set that is available. If you'd like to stop off and pray at the altar for a few moments, that's acceptable too. But let me read this to you. I think it's very meaningful. This communion table is not of the church. It is of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. Come, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long. Come, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Would you stand with me, please? It'll be easier to come to the front to receive the gifts of communion. Or if you'd like to pray at the altar or at the front seat, you have that availability. In just a minute, we'll ask everyone to be seated again so that those who have the prepackaged communion can, uh, can receive it at the same time, and I'll direct that. Lord, we offer up these gifts of communion the unleavened bread and the unfermented wine, we consecrate or offer it to you and ask you to come with your holy presence and make this a meaningful time of worship. Thank you that God loved us so much he gave his only son and that Jesus became the sacrifice for our sins. And in response, Lord, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices that you can use in your service. I pray that every person who's been here today has been touched by your presence and that you've spoken some truth to every heart. And we pray now as we worship you through communion that you will receive the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Those that would like to come to the stations at either side or come down and receive one of the communion sets, please do that now.